Ingo by Helen Dunmore, Chapter 6 Never go down to the cove alone. Are you listening to me, Sapphire? If Connor isn't with you, you don't go. But Mum, Safi, I want you to promise me that you won't go on your own, ever. It's for your own safety. I can swim just as well as Connor. I know, but you're such a daydreamer, Safi. If the tide comes in while you're dreaming, I won't be there to help you. So promise. Make Connor promise too. He has already. All right, Mum. All right. I promise. Mum's words from years ago drum in my head as I feel my way through the mist, down the track and along the path. Shapes loom out frighteningly, but when I get close they're only bushes. The mist has already closed up behind me, damp and woolly and smothering. I can't see any of the cottages. I can't see the track or the gate or even the gap where the path begins. I trip and stumble and scramble up again, rubbing my grazed leg. Pebbles rattle under my feet, wet bracken slaps my legs. I can hear the sea echoing and the mournful sound of the foghorn. Danger, danger, don't come here. But I've got to carry on. This is the path to where Connor is. I must follow it. My heart bumps so hard it feels as if it's up in my mouth. Take a deep breath, Sapphire. There's nothing to be scared of. It's only mist. I creep out onto the grass. I've nearly reached the cliff, but I can't see the edge. The grass is wet and slippery and I'm afraid of falling, so I get down on hands and knees and crawl forward slowly, feeling my way. Ha, says the sea. Ha. I creep forward, digging my fingers into tussocks of rough grass. I won't go over the edge, whatever happens. Here it is. I lie down on my belly and lean over and look down. Below me, mist swirls. It's coming in from the sea, thicker and thicker. The shapes of boulders loom beneath, like dark heads rearing out of the mist. I can just about find my way down, but the rocks are shining wet. I mustn't slip. I try to remember where the tide will be. It should be low tide, just on the turn. I'm safe for now. I let myself down very carefully over the grassy lip of the cliff, scrabbling for footholds. You've been down here hundreds of times. It's completely safe, I say to myself. But my heart bangs and sweat prickles under my arms. Climbing down through the mist is like trying to do your best handwriting with your fingers in thick gloves. My left foot brushes a foothold, finds it. I lower my weight gently. No, my foot slips on wet rock and I start to slide. I grab a clump of thrift and cling on. My fingers want to hold on forever, but I won't let them. Don't be stupid, Sapphire. You won't fall. You can't stay here clinging onto a cliff. No one's going to come and rescue you. And anyway, you've got to find Connor. I take a deep breath. My feet will know where to go if I can just stop panicking. They know where the next foothold is, and the next, and the next. My feet have been learning the way down for years. I take another deep breath. Slowly, slowly. I let go of the clump of thrift. My right foot finds its way down to the next ledge, like a key finding its place in a lock. Down the rocks, squeeze between the boulders, over the stones. The dripping of water sounds eerie in the mist. I can hear the waves breaking far out, but I can't see them. I move as quietly as I can. I don't want anyone to hear me coming. 
At last, at last, my feet touch, feet touch firm, flat sand. I'm down on our beach, safe. My legs are shaking, but I did it. I did it on my own, in the mist, without Connor. Yeah, you did it on your own, my thoughts jeer at me. But don't get too excited. You haven't found Connie yet, have you? I'm going to, I tell myself firmly. And maybe, maybe the lift's, mist's lifting a little. I can just about see the edge of the tumble of rocks that meets the sand. The cliff I climbed down has vanished back into white williness, but I can't get lost. When I want to go home, all I have to do is walk away from the sound of the sea and I'm bound to come back to the rocks with the cliff above them. I step forward cautiously, one foot after another, on the hard sand that slopes downward slightly to the water. White, echoey swirls of mist stroke my skin. Connor! Connor, where are you? Are you here? I call softly. I don't dare call too loud. Anything could come out of this mist. Nobody answers. Connor! Connor! Please, please, if you're here, come out. I don't like hide-and-seek when I'm the seeker and everyone's hiding and waiting and watching, ready to jump out. Coming, ready or not. I hate things that jump out on me, but I'm still sure I was right to come down to the cove. I'm sure Connor came this way and that he's here, close. But I'm scared to call again. I glance back up the beach, but even the rocks have vanished now. I'm surrounded by white choking mist. The sound of the sea seems to come from everywhere. Ha! 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 I clench my hands so tight that my nails dig into my palms. You're safe, Sapphire. Don't be such a stupid little baby. It's all right, because as long as the sand slopes downward, then it must be leading towards the sea. I know the shape of this cove as well as I know the shape of my own hand. The seabed slopes gently for a long way, nearly as far as the mouth of the cove, but then it drops down sharply. When you're swimming, you can see the water go suddenly dark, where the deep comes. Connor has, has tried to dive to the bottom, but neither of us has ever touched it. I hold my arms out in front of me and step forward, fumbling through the mist. And that's when I hear the voice. It's far away over the water, and it's singing. I wish I was away in Ingo, far across the briny sea, sailing over deepest waters, where love nor care can never trouble me. Dad! Dad! It's Dad! My body prickles all over as if I'm standing in lightning. Dad! I call. Dad, where are you? It's me. It's Safi. Dad, please come back. The singing breaks off and there's a long silence. I hear the echo of the song in my head. I know that song so well and the voice singing it. But do I? Very softly, very far away, the singing starts again. And this time I'm not so sure. The singing is beautiful. The voice is so sweet and pure that I can't tell if it's a man's voice or a woman's or a child's. It's so sweet that I want the mist to lift me and carry me away to where the voice is. Come to tell me the very reason that I am slighted so by thee. I asked Dad once what the word slighted meant. He told me that to slight someone was to put them aside and take no notice of them. To make them feel that you don't want them, 
in the song, the singer wants to know why that's happened, why he's been slighted by the one he loves. Slighted? I don't need to ask what the word means now. Why have you left us, Dad? Didn't you want us any more? Weren't we good enough for you? Where are you, Dad? If you can hear me, please, please answer. But I don't say these words aloud. I stand as still as a stone in the mist, trying to catch the echo of the singing. It's Dad's song, but the more I listen, the less I can believe that the voice is his. The song is Dad's, but the singer isn't him. Now something else is happening. The mist is starting to lighten. It's lifting. There's brightness in the air, and as the mist swirls again, it parts to show a white disk of sun struggling to come out. I look back, and the outline of the rocks appears. There are the caves. There are the boulders. I turn towards the sea. And there, down by the water, perched on one of the high rocks at the side of the cove, is a boy. He's facing out to sea, away from me. I can only see his head and shoulders, but that dark wet hair, it looks like it must be Connor. The boy turns round. Even from here I can see that he's not Connor, but a stranger. A shiver of fear runs through me. He raises one hand and waves as if he knows me, but I don't know him. I've never seen him in my life. He waves again, and this time he beckons. He wants me to come over. And suddenly I've got to go to him. My feet are pounding over the hard wet sand towards the rock. There's a pool of water around the base of the rock and I splash through it. The boy leans over the side of the rock and looks down. Can you climb up to me? he asks. Of course I can. But it's not so easy. The rock is overhung, slimy and covered with seaweed. There are mussels and limpets that hurt my hands. A baby crab scuttles over my fingers and I nearly lose my grip. The boy doesn't scramble down to help me as Connor would. Maybe that's because he's wearing a wetsuit, or at least I think he is. I can't see properly from this angle, but it looks as if he's wearing a wetsuit pulled down to the waist. I grab hold of a, hold of a spur of rock near the top and haul myself up, and that's when I see him clearly for the first time. I topple backwards. I nearly fall. I would fall, except that the boy's hand shoots out and grabs mine. Careful, he says. It's a costume. He's wearing a costume. It must be. It can't be real. He can't be. You can't be, I say aloud, without meaning to. It's impossible. I look down at the hand that is still holding on to me. Human fingers, just like mine. Human arms, neck, head, chest. But then, I'm asleep, aren't I? You're part of a dream. He squeezes my fingers tight and then, then lets go of them. Did that feel real enough? I can pinch you if you like. No, that's all right, but, but you can't be a... I still can't get the word out. It's not a word I've ever heard outside a story. It doesn't belong to real life. I stare at the dark curve of what I thought was a wetsuit and the smooth place where flesh like mine joins onto... What? It reminds me of something. It's not like the scaly fish tail you see in a kid's book. It's like the tail of another creature altogether. Powerful, glistening, sleek, made for water and not for land. A seal, I whisper. The two halves of what I s I'm seeing won't join up. I see a boy like Connor with dark wet hair and brown eyes and suntan skin. And I see the curving tail of a seal. He looks as if he's heard every thought I've had. Seals can't talk, he points out. His teeth are perfectly white and even. His mum won't be nagging him about going to the dentist.
Why am I thinking about dentists when I'm looking at a... You thought I was Connor, didn't you? Don't worry, Connor's here somewhere. He's with my sister. Your sister, I bleat. Thoughts and pictures whirl in my head. The girl with the long wet hair. The girl in the wetsuit. His sister. I know your name, he goes on. His eyes glint with satisfaction. I know all about you. You're Sapphire. Connor told me about you. Oh, don't you want to know mine? Your what? My name, he says. Oh, ah, uh, yes, that'd be good. My name is Faro, he says with grandeur, as if I must have heard it. But I still can't get my mind working. How come you're speaking English? I blurt out. I mean, you're not... Not English? Not, um, human. Human? I should think not, says Faro, as if there aren't many worse things to be. And how do you know we're speaking English anyway? We might be speaking mer. I can't speak anything except English, I say. This is one thing I am certain about, at least. You think you can't, says Farrow. But if your mother was here, she wouldn't be able to understand a word we're saying. She wouldn't be listening. She'd be too busy yelling at me for coming down here on my own. That's true, says Farrow, as if he knows my mum well. But I thought... I mean, don't mermaids have tails like fish? With scales? I'm sure that's what I've seen in pictures. Pharaoh raises his eyebrows. Mermaids? That is such a human way of talking. I suppose you're friends with lots of maids at school, are you? Well, no, we don't call them maids, not anymore. That was in the olden days, the Tudors or the Victorians or something. So what makes you think the myrrh are living in the olden days? asks Farrow, laying a faint sarcastic emphasis on the, on the last two words. Of course you're living in the olden days, I want to say. You sit on rocks and you have a golden comb in one hand and a mirror in the other, and you sing all day and comb your hair and wait for sailors to come past so you can tempt them into the sea. That's not exactly 21st century behaviour, is it? So that's two things you've got wrong, says Farrow, almost purring with satisfaction. One, I'm male, not female, so how could I be a mermaid anyway? Automat anatomically impossible. Two, all that scaly tail and hair combing mermaid and merboy and merman stuff comes from humans. It's got nothing to do with the way we live. It's all up in the air. So what do you call yourselves? I asked curiously. Farrow's eyes darken. His smile disappears. I can't tell you that, he says. We don't talk about it to air people. But you can call us the mer if you want. That's the word when we, we use when we're talking in the air. Mer, mill, more, mare, any of those will do. He shrugs his shoulders as if the whole subject bores him. The sun is coming out more and more strongly now, burning up the mist. Everything is clear again and Pharaoh is as clear and solid as the sh shape of the rock. I glance sideways at his tail. I don't want to stare too much. Now that the mist is burning off, his tail is drying too. It doesn't shine as much. I wonder if he should dip, dip it in the water. There are patches of sand on his skin. Pharaoh catches me looking and raises his eyebrows again. I feel myself blush. Do you think that we are speaking, Mur? Really? I ask quickly. 
I listen to the words as they come out of my mouth. They sound the same as always. They don't seem to make different shapes. Not full myrrh, says Pharaoh, but you've got a bit of myrrh in you. You must have or you wouldn't be here. It means we can speak to each other. But if we were speaking full myrrh, you'd be able to understand what he's saying. And Pharaoh nods at the gull that's riding in the air above us, screaming out gull abuse. What is he saying? Think of all the swear words you know and then double them. I stare up at the gull. It tilts its wings to balance itself more comfortably on the air and stares back with its cold yellow eye. It opens its beak wide and lets out another volley. They don't like people looking at them, says Pharaoh. Can you talk to it? Talking's a waste of time, the mood he's in. He doesn't like me talking to you. Why not? Girls are like that. They think it's safer to keep separate. Humans are bad news to most of them. Oh. Pharaoh watches a tiny spider crab haul itself up a strand of bladder rack. Can you hear what he's saying? He asks. No. You might be able to, if you weren't in the air. But I can't live out of the air. You only think you can't, says Pharaoh. Listen to that girl. Listen. Really listen. I strain my ears, but all I can catch is the usual cry as the herring girl sweeps low, skimming the water, then soars again. You were looking for Connor, says Pharaoh, after a pause. Yes, yes I was, I say slowly, realising that I haven't thought of him since I saw Pharaoh. I can't believe that I forgot that I was searching for Connor. I told you, he's with my sister. He's quite safe. But where are they? Pharaoh shifts a little. Out of the water, the tail is strong and smooth, but also a little clumsy. He puts his weight on his arms and moves himself forward again so that he can look over the edge of the rock. They'll be in the water, he says, somewhere down there. I look where he points and I see that the flat sand has gone. The tide is bubbling around our rock. Already the water is deep. How has it come in so quickly without me noticing? How has it come in so quickly? I repeat aloud. It's only the tide, says Pharaoh easily. It always comes in like this. But it was low tide a few minutes ago, was it? I'll have to swim back to the rocks. I've got to go back now before it gets too deep. I'll have to be careful. The incoming tide can be dangerous. It can sweep you against the rocks and bruise you, or worse. Keep in the middle of the cove and swim straight for the shore. Where are you going? asks Pharaoh as I stand and peer over the edge of the rock to see if it's safe to jump. Jumping's quicker than climbing down and the water is rising fast. I've got to get back. I'll get caught by the tide. But your brother's still here, says Pharaoh casually. My body freezes. Slowly I turn back to him. How could I have forgotten Connor again? How could I ever think of getting myself home safe and leaving him behind? Where? Where is he? I'll take you to him, says Pharaoh. Take my hand, Sapphire, and I'll take you to him. Pharaoh is poised on the edge of the rock now. His strong seal tail hangs above the water, and his arms are braced as if he's ready to push off from the rock and plunge in. He faces the mouth of the cove where the fresh water of the new tide is pouring in. I know in every bone of my body that Pharaoh's not going to take me into the safe sand at the back of the cove where I can climb up and find the path home. He's going to take me out into deep water, beyond the mouth of the cove. 
but I'm not allowed to go there. It's too dangerous. I can't, I say. I've got to get back. Without Connor? asks Farrow, critically. If I knew that my sister was in the air, I would never leave her. I would never go home without her. Do you mean Connor's in danger? Farrow looks at me, but says nothing. He's testing me, I know he is. If Connor were really in any danger, how could Farrow just sit here on this rock and tell me about it without doing anything to help? People don't act like that. People. Humans. I glance down at Farrow's curved, powerful tail. I can hardly see the place where human flesh ends and myrrh flesh begins. One part of Farrow seems to melt into another. Farrow catches my glance. It must be strange to be divided the way you are, he says, with a tinge of pity in his voice. Divided? You know, goes on Farrow, looking embarrassed, the way you do when you have to point out that someone's got a splodge of ketchup on their chin. You know, the way you are. Cleft. He points at my legs. Must feel strange, having two of those. But it's you that's divided, not me. You're half human and half... Half? snaps Farrow. There you go again with your air thinking. I'm not half of anything. I am wholly myrrh. He says it proudly as if being myrrh is like being royal and he glances down at his tail with satisfaction. Connor is with my sister, says Farrow. Now, are you coming? I have no choice. No matter how deep the shelf that drops away at the mouth of the cove, no matter how fast the tide pours in, it's only Farrow who can take me to Connor. And how can I go back home without Connor? I'll come with you, I say. Good, says Farrow, but you have to leave your air thinking here, on this rock. We don't swim as you do, half up in the air. He mimics someone doggy paddling along with their face stuck out of the water. I can't breathe underwater. Don't even think about breathing. Breathing is what you do in the air. We mer do things differently. Hold my wrists just here. Clasp your fingers around me. Tighter than that. When I dive, you dive. Don't try to hold your breath. Don't even think about breathing. You must let it all out, all your breath. Hold my wrist. You won't drown while you're with me. Farrow's wrist feels warm and strong. It feels like that word he says so mockingly, human. But I look down at his strong, smooth tail. It twitches as if it already feels the water and wants to be in it. When I die, says Farrow again, you dive. I hold his wrist tight. I look down at the water which has risen so fast that it's slapping at the rock less than a metre below us. I look at Farrow and see that he has shut his eyes. His nostrils are narrowing, closing up like the nostrils of a seal before it dives deep. I clasp Farrow's wrist. I shut my eyes, lean forward, take the deepest breath I can and push off from the rock. We dive.